Today's scripture reading is from Joshua 7. This is the word of the Lord. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on, the face, on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that have been content to dwell before the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I've commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have been devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near the clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with a devoted thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan the son of Karma, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of sil silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with a silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with a silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achar. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. 
Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Acre. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thank you, Mary Page. That's a long passage. Uh, there's a lot in there. Um, a couple years ago at a funeral, uh, Tim Tebow said this about the deceased. He said, he's been an absolute inspiration, a hero of the faith, and he'll definitely be in the hall of faith. We're just so grateful for his life, for his impact, and for his ministry. Uh, Mike Pence was there too, and he said this. He says, in this person, God gave us the greatest apologist of this century. He was the C.S. Lewis of our day. Louis Giglio, a somewhat famous pastor, director of the Passion Conferences, said this, uh, thank you for showing me such humility and compassion and love for all people. And at the funeral, uh, Lecrae performed the song, Tell the World, to honor his efforts in telling the world about Jesus. But that honor would soon turn to disgrace. Uh, some of you might have already guessed who I'm talking about. Uh, the funeral that I'm referring to is Ravi Zacharias, uh, the famous Christian apologist. Uh, and it was revealed uh, later on after the funeral uh, that he had been living a double life. He had been involved in some wicked things, some things that were hidden and things that he must have thought would have remained hidden. And one thing we can learn from Ravi Zacharias and from the scriptures is that nothing is hidden. And as Jesus said, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And so what we see in our text today and we might see in our own lives is that we might either be uh, actively hiding something or be tempted to hide something, but nothing is ever really hidden. So, so with this idea of hiding sin in mind, I'd like for us to consider three things. First, I want to consider the anger of God. Second, I want to consider the sin of man, in particular, our tendency to covet. And third, in light of these two things, the anger of God and the sin of man, I'd like to give some attention to God's covenants. So first, God's anger. So here's a quick re recap of what happened in case you weren't able to follow there. Uh, Israel defeated Jericho last week. We read about that in um, uh, Joshua 6. Daniel preached on that, did a great job. And, and God did a miraculous thing in that, that victory. You know, they just marched around the walls and the walls came, came down. Um, and so now they're on to a much lesser adversary. They're, they're, they're going uh, against Ai, who is uh, a, a smaller group of people. They sent out spies and the spies came back and they said, hey, this is a, this is a small group. We don't need to take everybody. We just need to take, we need to take a, a lesser number so they don't take many troops. But Israel is defeated and their hearts melt with fear. The people are shocked because God is supposed to be with them. He made that point clear the, the, uh, in, 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 at Jericho. And the people of Ai were supposed to be an easy win. This was going to be an easy uh, victory for the people of Israel. And so Joshua cries out to the Lord. And we learn when he does it that something has indeed happened. Someone in Israel has stolen from the spoils of victory. Someone took the devoted things that he kept referring to. And this is the reason that they lost the battle against Ai. And it's eventually revealed that, that, that the, 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 the guy that took stuff is this man named Achan. And that, and that provoked the anger of God. And God's anger is, is the focus of the, of the text today. 
Uh, and if you look in verse 1 of chapter 7, we see this. It, it begins and ends focusing on the anger of God. Verse 1 says this, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the, of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And then in, in the last verse, chapter 7, we read this, verse 26, <clears throat> And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor. So, so we see the anger of the Lord burn against the people of Israel in verse 1. And then in verse 26, we see the, 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 the Lord turn away from his burning anger. And so we get some insight as to why in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but, but there we read about how Israel was to devote uh, the Amorites and all that they had to destruction. And then God said something very similar again in Joshua chapter 6, the chapter before, verse 18 and 19, he said this, but you keep yourselves from the things that are devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and the gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. <clears throat> they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So they were to keep themselves from these things that were to be devoted to destruction. <clears throat> and they were to put the silver and the gold and all that in the Lord's treasury. But apparently at some point, <clears throat> Achan was somewhere and he realized, I can take this for myself. And so he did. <clears throat> he thought he could do a thing in secret. He figured if there, there was something he could do that no one would notice. And this thing that he did would remain hidden. But that hidden sin arouse the anger of God and to have the anger of God set on you is a terrifying thing and Achan should have been afraid. So, so they go through this process where it's revealed that it's Achan. Uh, he's revealed to be the, cul the culprit and he confesses. He says this in verse 20, 21. He says, truly I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So he confesses his sin. And we might expect, well, when somebody confesses their sin, they get pardoned. He does not get pardoned. We read what happens in verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, the ox and donkey, sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. So it was too late for Achan to receive a pardon. He received justice for his offenses against God, and they stoned him with stones until he died. And by stealing the objects that were devoted to destruction, he became an object that was devoted to destruction. And that is how sin works. Sin always takes more than it gives. The reason we sin is because we think it gives more than it takes. Sin always 
takes more than it gives. It takes more than it promises. Achan saw something and he thought he would take the money and the goods. But what he actually did in taking the money and taking the goods and taking all this stuff, what he actually did was take the bullseye of God's anger and place it directly on himself. Now, a a passage like this can almost be shocking towards us because it seems so brutal. But but this is not an unusual thing that, that we see in the scriptures. In Exodus, we read about a man who broke Sabbath. He was stoned to death. There was Korah's rebellion, and the, the ground opened up and, and swallowed them. Uh, we we uh, went through the summer in the book of Acts, the, the story about Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to Peter, lied to the Holy Spirit, and they dropped dead on the spot. Jesus speaks of hell often. He described it as a place of torment, of an unquenchable fire, where there are, uh, there are people weeping and gnashing their teeth. He described it as a place of outer darkness, compared it to a place where trash is burned. This is really, really intense, and all of you are probably just as uncomfortable hearing it as I am of saying it. When R.C. Sproul was asked what doctrine he struggled with the most, he said it was the doctrine of hell. Me too. It seems really, really intense, and it rattles me more than just a little bit. But the reason it does is because part of the problem is we don't have a right understanding of the holiness of God in the sinfulness of man, because we're, we're sinful. We're, we're, we're in that camp. We are thoroughly sinful. And justice seems, it, it, it rattles us. It, 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 it's hard for us to swallow. And the idea of God being angry, for many of us, seems unlike God. You know, we hear about the love of God, as we should, because the scriptures speak about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. You've heard me talk about it, as we should. It's what the Bible teaches. But, the God, but we also see in the scriptures that our God is angry. In Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He feels indignation every day. The idea that God is angry shouldn't be foreign to us, and it shouldn't be something we should try to to not mention or kind of skirt around. But when we see that God is angry, we get taken back by it, maybe even a bit surprised by it, and perhaps maybe even a little bit put off but, but if you have never trembled before the anger of God at your own sin, then you have not yet experienced grace and mercy to the fullest. Because if you think that grace and mercy are due you, the gospel will mean less to you. And, and perhaps you might think of the gospel in terms of a bill that got paid for you that you didn't even realize you owed. And the gospel will mean less to you if you don't understand the depth of the anger of God towards sin and sinners. Have you ever thought about your sin being something that would arouse the anger of God and that would justly, his wrath could be justly spent on you? And if you haven't gotten there, then you haven't understood the gospel in its fullness. Now, let's talk a moment about what provoked God's anger here. Let's talk about the sin of Achan, and in particular, coveting. So, my second point, man's coveting. So, Achan lays out what happened, verse 20, 21. Truly, I sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. 
And see, they are hidden in the earth. Inside my tent, the silver's underneath. He saw and he took. It's pretty simple how this works. He saw something, he wanted it, so he took it. He saw and he took. This is how the sin of coveting works. This is how the first sin happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we read this. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate, he saw, and he took. And it isn't wrong to see something and to want something, but there is a line that gets crossed that makes it coveting. It becomes coveting when it goes out of bounds, like wanting another person's spouse or, or wanting or daydreaming about something that, is, that God has forbidden. Or it goes out of bounds when it becomes an obsessive want to the point of idolatry. It becomes all you think about. Uh, it, it gets to the point where you think you can't be happy without it. Or it begins to provoke in you a strong dislike for the person who has it. You begin to despise them, think about them a lot, and talk bad about them a lot. And when you hear bad things about them, it sounds sweet to your ears. And all of us today are either in the midst of coveting or on the verge of coveting. And I seriously doubt that there is even one person among us that is 100% satisfied with their life. That there's not something you feel like you lack that you've seen somebody else has this, I don't have this, and you want it. We're all likely to be tempted to covet. We're all vulnerable to this sin. And we just tend to measure ourselves against other people. We can't not do it in some ways. We measure ourselves by other people's looks, their success, their money, their kids, their jobs, their good fortune, their social life. And we know coveting is brimming within us when jealousy, that, that green-eyed monster, is awakened inside of us, and we become painfully aware of what others have. And then we have strong emotions, negative emotions towards them, and we just kind of see them as thinking, they think they're so great. They think they have it all together. And, and coveting is something that both the worst of people do and the best of people can do. You know, in the, in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is basically telling Peter, hey, you're, you're going to be a martyr. You're, you're going to end up dying for the faith. And then as he's telling this, Peter sees John and he says, well, what about him? And you know what Jesus says? He says, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you, Peter? What is it to you if someone else has something better than you? What is it to you if someone has a longer life than you? You will have what God has given you, and what God has given you, <clears throat> that's going to be the context with which you follow Jesus. <clears throat> you know, as, as parents, I think we can sometimes wrongly focus on making things fair. And, and I don't want to provoke kids. I don't think any of us should provoke our kids by, by trying to be blatantly unfair um, I think, um, you know, I think we should try to be even in, in our chores and perks and, and all that stuff. But sometimes there can be a temptation to make things even, to make sure everybody gets the same 
lot. You know, at Christmas time, you might calculate, make sure everybody's getting the same amount of presents or at least the same worth or, or whatever. Uh, maybe when you're having chores or dispersed, you want to make sure that no, it's not loaded up on one person too much or that it's evenly spread out. And I'm not saying that's bad necessarily, <clears throat> but that's not how life works. I mean, it, like life hasn't been evenly distributed out to all of us. Our, our, our bank accounts are, are all different. So life doesn't work like life isn't just evenly distributed. Everybody has the same number of highs, the same number of lows. <clears throat> That's just not how it works. And more importantly, that is not how God works. God does not distribute all things equally. We just got to embrace it. God does not distribute all things equally. That means some people will have it much better than you in several categories, and you will have it worse, much worse than others in different categories. And I think our kids need to experience the unevenness or, or unfairness of life. Sometimes people will have more than you, sometimes people will have it better than you, and sometimes you'll have it worse than most, or sometimes you might have it better. And we need to teach them to go to battle against that green-eyed monster, that jealousy, that coveting that lives inside of them and that lives inside of their parents. That we were constantly going to be tempted to measure ourselves against others and to keep score. And it is a miserable, it is a miserable way to live your life, to be painfully aware of how much everybody else has it better than you. And not only that, much worse than that, it arouses the anger of God. And so they need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of it. And we are probably all largely unaware of coveting because it's just the air we breathe. I mean, like social media, I'm not against social media, but man, is that a rich environment for coveting, right? Just everything on display. No one's putting up like, hey, here's a picture of me and my wife not getting along. <laughs> you know, we're, we're in different sides of the house on our phones, not talking. Here's a pic. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It's, it's the good stuff, right? And again, I'm not saying we should post a bunch of trash about our marriage or anything. I'm just saying it's the air we breathe and we're tempted to covet probably more than we realize. But we, we, we are in this, in this idea of becoming aware of all this stuff, we, we, it becomes, it has all these different layers and all these different ways. It's not just money. It's not just stuff. It can also be about just people. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this desire to be in the inner ring, the, the inner circle. And so you're aware, not just of what you have or don't have, but you can become aware of where you stand in your social makeup. And there's some people who are the insiders and you're the outsiders. And you can become painfully aware. And you can walk away from those people and you think those people are snobs or unfriendly. But what's really probably happening is you're coveting that they're on the inside and you're on the outside. And this thing, coveting, it is no small thing. It is a wicked thing. It can make us do or say sinful things. Coveting can ruin your life. It can make you depressed. It can make you anxious. And if it goes unchecked or hidden, it probably will. Achan coveted and God had him killed for it. Sin always takes more than it gives. Coveting always takes more than it gives. And the reason God dealt so harshly with Achan was because he had made a covenant with the people of Israel and Achan broke it by coveting. Now, I want to spend some time talking about God's covenant. The reason that Israel defeated Jericho was because God was faithful to the covenant that he made to Israel. He was faithful to do what he said. 
And the reason that Israel was defeated by Ai was because God was faithful to the covenant he made to Israel. In Deuteronomy 28, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to look at it, you'll see the, the title is probably Blessings for Obedience and Curses for Disobedience. And so in, in the first part, we see the blessings for obedience. The second part, the curse for disobedience. And the, uh, the part of the curse for disobedience was that Israel would be defeated by their enemies. Now, you need to know that this is the old covenant. It's not what Christians operate under today. We are under the new covenant, and Christians have a much better contract with God now. Under the old covenant, God's faithfulness led him to have Israel defeated and Achan stoned. But we're under the new covenant. That means God's faithfulness leads him to not punish our sins, because for those who have turned to Jesus, their sins have already been put on him, and the punishment has been paid in full. The old contract with God, the old covenant, you pay for your sins. And the new contract, the new covenant with God, Jesus pays for your sins. So if the anger of God scares you, as it should, then run to Jesus, who on the cross received the wrath and anger of God on your behalf. Go to Jesus for this new contract with God that he offers, where rather than you paying for your sins, Jesus pays for your sins. Now, it's, it's interesting, going back to Genesis 3, we read about the fall of man, where, where they took the fruit. We, we, it uses this language. It says, Eve saw the forbidden fruit, and she took, and she ate. She saw, she took, and she ate. And she gave it to her Adam. He took, and he ate. And in a beautiful reversal, God redeems us by calling us to do the same. In, in Matthew 26, when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, do you remember what he says? Take, eat, come to Jesus, take and eat, be united with him in his death and resurrection. Sin always takes more than it gives. Jesus always gives more than he takes. Why wouldn't you run to Jesus? Why wouldn't you with all your heart Give him your life. Follow him. He always gives more than he takes. Sin always takes more than it gives. And we read that the place that Achan was stoned was referred to as the Valley of Acre. And, and this is not the last time we read about the Valley of Acre in the Bible. We read about it again in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Listen to these words. So the, the Valley of Acre, that's where Achan was stoned. That's where he was killed. We read this in Hosea 2. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. This is God speaking of Israel. And there I will give her, I will give her her vineyards and make the Valley of Acre a door of hope. Jesus will make the valley of Achor, the place of judgment, a door of hope. That is what our God is like. He is very angry at sin and will deal severely and harshly 
with it. But in that place of judgment and wrath, there is a door of hope, and that door is Jesus. And I'm not being allegorical here. I'm taking the words of Jesus in John 10. Jesus says, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy, to take. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He gives more than he takes. He is the door. He gives life abundantly. He always gives more than he takes. So you don't have to go around Jesus to find life. Whatever it is that's wooing you and calling you that you know is sinful, that you know God has not given you, whatever it is, you don't have to go around Jesus to find life. You go to him for life. He is the door of hope. The place where judgment and hope meet is on the cross. Judgment for Jesus and hope for us. So, if you are hiding sin, you are hiding from Jesus. You are hiding from hope. You are choosing the valley of Achor, the anger and judgment of God, over the door of hope, forgiveness, and an abundant life. I'm going to close by reading Psalm 103 again. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. If we get that, it changes our life. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You think you're better than Achan? You're not. The wrath of God could be spent on you if not for Christ. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There is much more to fear in the dark than there is in the light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how foolish are we when we run to sin, when we think it promises life, we think it promises to give us more than it takes, and we turn our back on you, Jesus, who always give more than you take. Would you help us to be deceived no longer? Would you uh, cure us of our daydreams that have taken good things and make them ultimate things, therefore idolatrous and sinful? Would you recalibrate our heart to see you as our ultimate treasure, uh, that we would long for you, more of you, that we would see you as the way to life, that we would not think that we need to go around you to discover life, or some kind of pleasure that is calling or wooing us. So would you redeem our minds and focus our, our, our eyes and hearts on you. And Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.